X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, January the 28th. It's a great day to subscribe to The Local. One fun thing to do, if you learn something, post it on social media and include a link to the show. Who knows? Someday, somebody might find somebody else who's a local fan and you can make friends. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, January 28th, 1521, Diet of Worms was convened. It was an assembly held by Emperor Charles V of the Holy Roman Empire. The diet, maybe diet, is the Latin word for a political assembly. This one was held in a German city called Worms. By the way, if you really want to pronounce it, apparently Diet of Worms, but it's spelled Diet of Worms, and that's way more fun. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I think I'll go eat worms. Great the Deet of Worms is most notable because Martin Luther appeared before it to respond to charges of heresy. This was following Luther's excommunication by Pope Leo X just months prior. The assembly resulted in the Edict of Worms, or Worms. This banned the writings of Martin Luther, declared him a heretic and an enemy of the state. And that, of course, quelled his teachings forever. Oh, yeah, except that a whole church called the Lutheran Church grew up, and now there's like schools and colleges and all kinds of stuff about it. Today, back in the day, January 28, 1918, 15 Mexican-Americans were killed by the Texas Rangers. In an event known as the Porvenir Massacre, Rangers went door-to-door -door in the town of Porvenir, Texas. They ordered inhabitants out of their homes and executed unarmed boys and men. The Rangers were supposedly sent to stop banditry, but there was no evidence to suggest that the Porvenir villagers were involved in any recent crimes. It was part of a pattern of state-sanctioned violence on the Texas-Mexico border. Witnesses said for years after that massacre, horses would rear and wouldn't go by the spot where the massacre happened. Today we have an interview with Nicole Lane, festival director for the Fertile Ground Festival. X-Ray. First up, it is time for your Quick Six Local Rundown. Portland police have revealed details about their collaboration with an FBI task force. The JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, was a post-9-11 partnership between federal, state, and local law enforcement to investigate terrorism. Portland City Council withdrew the police from the JTTF in February of 2019. That withdrawal was championed by Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who campaigned on the issue. Commissioners were concerned about civil rights violations, insufficient civilian oversight, and unjust targeting of Muslims. When the city withdrew from the JTTF, they required the Portland police to share a report on its involvement with the task force. Now, that report has been made public. Police Bureau looked into cases related to far-right and racist extremists as well as anarchists. At Wednesday's city council meeting, Commissioner Hardesty questioned Police Sergeant Pete Simpson about the report. She wanted to know why it didn't reflect the increase in white supremacist violence that was recently taking place in Portland. Simpson explained the cooperation under the Joint Terrorism Task Force is the only way that the Portland Police Bureau and the FBI collaborate. Racist violence, for example, that's typically investigated by Police Bureau's biased crimes detective. The Bureau report shows a decrease in cases shared between the FBI and the Portland Police in 2020. Case numbers were substantially higher than years previous. But the federal government has put a new emphasis on domestic terror, so that slowdown may reverse in 2021. What's a reverse slowdown? Some would say it's a speed up. And now it's time for your daily dose of data the Oregon Health Authority reported 731 new coronavirus cases yesterday. The state has seen a total of 140,063 cases since the pandemic began. There were also 20 new deaths from the virus. There have been a total of 1,924 deaths. 
the OHA has reported that there were 14,896 new vaccinations on Wednesday. Cases, hospitalizations, and deaths have all steeply declined last week. Kate Brown sent an additional 17,000 vaccine doses to Multnomah County. Our county has seen a shortage of vaccines. Out of the 60,000 workers eligible for the vaccine, only 11,000 have appointments, and even those will take weeks. So the state government is sending an additional 17,000 vaccines for Phase 1A workers. The state will also be sending 15,000 vaccines specifically for educators. Real estate investors' interest in Portland may be declining. Just four years ago, Portland was one of the most desirable cities in the country for real estate developers. But according to a study by the Urban Land Institute, Portland ranked 66th in desirability for lenders, investors, and developers. Back in 2017, Portland ranked third. So what's happened to the confidence from those investors? Some economists think it stems from wildfires and high-profile protests downtown. Of course, prices have also gotten pretty high. Some others have said the slate of rental protections has impacted it. Property insurance has risen 30 to 50 percent this year, in part due to rampant graffiti. More and more businesses have been leaving the city center. But meanwhile, the city council is bending over backwards to help business in at least this case. Portland City Council rejected a neighborhood appeal of the new Hyatt Hotel, one of the most contentious issues to come before Portland's new city council. Councilmember Mingus Maps ran and has positioned himself as a friend of the neighborhood associations. Both he and Mayor Ted Wheeler also have allegiance to business interests in town. So the issue put both of them in a bit of a Portland pickle, and I don't mean the baseball team. Pearl District Neighborhood Group sought to block the development of the 23-story Hyatt Hotel on Northwest 12th and Flanders. The group objected to the building's design and the impact on the Flanders Greenway. The city has long had restrictions on how high developers can build. But city council voted unanimously to allow the project to continue. Patricia Cliff, the president of the Pearl District Neighborhood Group, had this to say, and I'm quoting, the decision was an indication of the preference that the new city council will be given to developers rather than the interests of the community in these stressful and tenuous times. Oregon House Republicans disavowed their party's position on the Capitol attack. The Republican Party of Oregon recently passed a resolution dismissing the Capitol attack as a false flag operation. Party officials suggested that the attack was, quote, designed to discredit President Trump, his supporters, and all conservative Republicans. The resolution also criticized 10 Republicans in Congress for supporting impeachment. The resolution was approved by the Executive Committee of the Republican Party of Oregon, not lawmakers. On Wednesday, 23 House Republican lawmakers distanced themselves from their own party and asserted that, quote, there is no credible evidence to support false flag claims. It was an extraordinary move to deviate from the party line. The party's resolution has been criticized nationwide by other Republicans and groups like the Anti-Defamation League. The Proud Boys leader has worked as a government informant. The Proud Boys are a far-right Western chauvinist extremist group that often rallies against what they call the deep state. So it came at somewhat of a shock when it was revealed that its leader, Henry Enrique Tario, worked as a police informant nearly a decade ago. After being convicted of fraud in 2012, he helped police prosecute more than a dozen other people. He's also involved in undercover operations involving steroids and prescription narcotics. Terry was arrested in Washington, D.C. just two days before the Capitol riot after burning a Black Lives Matter banner at a historically black church and carrying high-capacity firearms. He was banned from D.C. Speculation is that Terry's history as an informant might cause conflict within the Proud Boys' ranks. And some good news. 
Salmon are spawning in the upper Columbia River for the first time in 80 years. It's a result of decades of work by scientists in the Confederated Tribes of the Colville system. In the 1930s and again in the 1950s, two dams were built blocking salmon from reaching higher levels of the river system to spawn. This prevented indigenous tribes from carrying out fundamental cultural practices, including fishing and salmon songs. This August, the Colville tribes released 100 salmon upstream of the dams to see if they could survive and spawn. So far, scientists have found 36 deposits of salmon eggs in the upper Columbia. The salmon still face some major challenges, though. Their migration pattern is one of the most treacherous and impressive in nature, and it's difficult to survive even in the best of times. First, the salmon will need to pass through the Columbia Reservoir and its hydropower infrastructure. They'll also have to avoid predatory and invasive pike fish. But if they can survive the journey, the Colville tribes will begin work on potential passageways through the dams for the fish. Colville Business Council Chairman Rodney Colston said, quote, Our ancestors carried a prayer that our salmon would one day return to the Upper Columbia. With all the prayers that were made historically and today, combined with all the efforts of our fisheries staff, our leaders, and many others who are joined in this effort, we can bring our fish home. And that today's is today's Quick, Quick Six, Six Local, Local Rundown. Rundown. X-Ray. We have What's Next with Andy Lindbergh. His guest will be Nicole Lane, Festival Director for the Fertile Ground Festival. Portland's Fertile Ground Festival is entering its 11th year, looking very different. Festival Director Nicole Lane sat down to discuss how the 2021 festival changed as a result of not only COVID-19, but current events. Here are Nicole and Andy. I'm here speaking with Nicole Lane, Festival Director of Fertile Ground uh, Festival of New Work. Um, yes, yes, yes. Hi, uh, Andy. Hi. Fertile Ground is a theater festival. It's talk. Tell us about what Fertile Ground has been in the past. Fertile Ground Festival of New Work. Uh, well, this is the twelfth annual festival, so mm. it's been going on eleven years uh, for the past eleven years. It started as a theater festival. Okay. And it has emerged into many, encompassing many other art forms. Uh, and this year is in particular uh, a year where many art forms are in- included. Hmm. Um, so for the past 11 years, it's usually at between 40 and 45 different venues across town. Uh, there are 50 producers. There's over 100 acts of creation is what I call them. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I think it's over an 11 day period and all of these shows are running concurrently. Okay. So, you know, you may have, you'll have, you'll have shows at like 17 different places on a Friday night across Portland. Uh, so that's typically how it goes. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's the way that we run Fertile Ground. It's always been a non, non curated festival. Anybody who wants in can do it. Um, and like I said, it started as theater and then there's, a you know, as, as, as you move about to the arts world, uh, other people said, Hey, well, I, I do dance or, you know, I do circus. And, and so we yeah. started bringing any kind of performance. Okay. So everything changed this year. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's midsummer and it seems like that's when it became 
clear, at least in my world, that this was not going to be COVID-19 was not going to be a problem that was going to be solved this year. You, you, you know that this live in-person type of, of festival of new work isn't going to happen. What, what did you do? Well, it was June and the writing on the wall was very clear that nothing was really going to get back to normal and a lots of change was going to happen over the coming months. And we had to make a decision, you know, do we do fertile ground or do we just, you know, take a gap year? <laughs> and, <laughs> Travel around Europe. That, but that, that was, that was an attractive idea. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we we knew how much artists still need to create and how much audiences still needed to consume art. They still need to be uh, inspired by by what's by by the artists out there creating work. Mm-hmm. And you know there was the uh, uh, protest marches that were going on yeah. in Portland. Also. And so there was like as you know anyone remembers there were all of these layers going on in June, and we uh, ended up sending out a survey a survey to all the past participants of Fertile Ground and then putting it up on social media to, you know, get other people, other than people who had been involved before. And we set up a survey and, and the first part of the survey was if we did a virtual festival, would you be into it? Would you do it? Mm-hmm. Um, if it was all recorded, would you do it? Um, and that was a very easy answer. I mean, it was like 99% of people said yes. But we added a second part um, of that survey, and it was only to be answered by uh, people from the BIPOC community, the LGBT2QIA community, and the disabled community. And we had a set of questions where we asked them what Fertile Ground could be doing better. How um, you know it, it was? It was basically it was it was launched off a grant that we got from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Mm. Um, so that we could really formalize the work that we've been doing, the inclusivity work that we have been doing. And um, and we got an, I got an incredible response from people I knew and did not know um, on uh, what what Fertile Ground could be doing to help elevate those voices. Um, and that's something that's been very important to me for a really long time. And I've been doing that work for a really long time and really bringing this into Fertile Ground for um, this year uh, really felt like the right way, right thing to do. And I'm going to tell you how we did it. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, um, with permission, I talked to all of all of the people who responded, all of BIPOC community for sure, and some okay. of the LGBTQIA folks and the disabled folks. And so I uh, talked to all of them, spent an hour to two hours talking to them about um, my thoughts on what we could do for Fertile Ground and how we could – um, really meaningfully bring typically underrepresented stories into Fertile Ground. Mm-hmm. And then as I was talking to them, I'm formulating what we could do, making it virtual, what that means. And I'm talking to one person um, and, you know, he says, hey, Nicole, you can't make this a free-for-all festival. Because I'm like, if we do a festival, we're going to have to create time slots because it's virtual. Yeah, We can't just have everybody come. That would be a nightmare. And he goes, Nicole, you, you're going to have to curate this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Not that I don't know how to curate art. I do. Sure. <laughs> uh, but but that's not the spirit of the festival in its previous form. Well, no. 
it's not, it's, that's not the festival in the previous form, but it's also not my place as a middle-aged white lady to uh-huh. curate a festival that's supposed to center BIPOC, LGBT, yeah. QIA, and disabled communities, because I am not any of those. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the spirit of taking a movement, taking it forward, I ended up curating a panel of people to curate fertile ground. <laughs> and I had no voice in that curation. I was present yeah. as an observer. Uh, but I but, but that the, the decision making was completely in their uh, purview. Mm-hmm. And uh, 16 of the 19 of those people are were from underrepresented communities or artists and arts workers mm-hmm. who uh, self-identify as BIPOC or LGBT2QIA or disabled. And most of them, I probably, I mean, I haven't done the percentages, but I would say easily 85% of them are intersectional. So, um, and there's not one person from one community all all by themselves. And so we went through the process of, uh, you know, creating that system for that to happen for Mm -hmm. the creation. But the first, the first order of business was to give five artists from the communities I've been talking about $500 to produce in fertile ground. Now we got that grant, you know, back early in the year. <laughs> yeah. And what we, but, but how, you know, when, when doing that again, came up against the same thing, same question, like what I am going to award these. Sure. I could award these, but mm-hmm. you know, my, uh, identity, uh, it'd be much better if we, this panel did. So the panel um, and then in the process of be talking about this to lots of people, but people started giving money. So uh-huh. we ended up being able to get nine awards, five, nine oh, great. grow awards, nine grow awards. And um, that the panel adjudicated those submissions, uh, those applications and selected nine people or nine projects. Mm-hmm. And then their next step. And all this was like in the super duper crunch time. I mean, I put, this whole thing was put together in, in, in a matter of weeks, uh, the panel and then the processes, all that super, super, super tight turnaround. And they adjudicated the GROW Awards. And then two weeks later, the rest of the festival. And um, we had some incredible, an incredible amount of people who wanted to be in fertile ground. Um, and the panel, you know, part of their process and figuring out who should be in fertile ground was like, you know, first of all, it's a virtual festival. Are you mm-hmm. going to do something interesting or is it, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. Is, is, uh, is, is your concept interesting? Yeah. Does, is or it going to come across through the screen yeah. or through audio? Yeah. You know, a, a big thing was, is the concept interesting and does it speak to this moment? I mean, mm-hmm. are, is the, is the, is the project something that is just another someone's vanity piece or it are they talking about something that is culturally relevant sure and then you layer that in with is it an underrepresented voice Mm -hmm. who is in this project who it needs to be heard um is it the story that needs to be heard is it the cast how how are, is it a uh, is it a diverse cast? You know what what um what is what's the what's the value? And it's a strange thing when you're talking about art to be identi- thinking about value because mm-hmm. you know 
every piece of art has value. It has value to the person creating it, has value and to some extent to whomever's consuming it. Yeah. But this was, you know, how do we t- make fertile ground? It's not that it's a uh, fertile ground this year is, uh, you know, rebellious and full of angst. That's not mm-hmm. it at all. Mm-hmm. It's more like it's um, contributing to uh, a cultural awareness. And indeed, like actually most there's, uh, there's, there's not a downer in the entire festival. Yeah. You know, there's no, not that Pinter is a downer, but like, you know, there's no Pinter. <laughs> you know, there's no like this dark, sad, yes. you know, uh, that sort of, it, it's all very, very comedic actually. Yeah. And full of life and love and vigor and uh, the all these incredible, vast range of voices. Well, that's so, that's so interesting given the, you know, the, the year that we're emerging from. Yeah. And it, and there's some dark comedy, but there's not anything that's just depressing. Yeah. It's like people were like, you know, artists were like, how do I take this dark place I'm in and mm-hmm. transform it into uh, something um, more complex and rich? Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Nicole Lane, festival director of the Fertile Ground Festival of New Works, which has undergone a seismic shift this year. What are some examples of the of the works that that will be presented uh, in this 2021 Fertile Ground Festival? Oh boy! I mean, it's all over the board. First of all, there are 36 acts of creation, as I call them. <laughs> And they run from one and a half minutes to almost two hours long. Wow. But the majority are between 20 minutes and 40 minutes. Okay. So it's not like you're going in for like, you know, you're not walking into a theater or a performance space anyway, but you can, you can consume them with with whatever time you have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And what I haven't mentioned before, which I hope to mention a little bit later too, is that is that the festival is running on a schedule. So, you know, at, you know, seven o'clock on Saturday night, a show runs, you know what show it is. You can watch it live. You can interact with the producers in the chats live. Wow. Uh, But uh, once it's aired, everything in Fertile Ground will continue to be available until February 15th. Hmm. So you can just like you can just go through the, the festival website, which is fertilegroundpdx.org, and you can go through the schedule. You can go through the fertile ground projects, and you can you know say I want to do this one, I want to do that one, whatever, mm-hmm. and make it you know it's on demand. Uh, right. It's completely on demand, and, and you can also look at the, how long the show is. <laughs> yes, yes. How much you're demanding? <laughs> and how much you're demanding? How much screen time you want for that day? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, it's a, uh, it, it, it is, it is, a, a, it, it is a wild and wonderful festival, you know, because of who is involved, what kind of stories are being told, but also because there are so many places of entry, whether it's the time or that it's up mm-hmm. for several weeks, but, um, the perspectives, these are the kinds of shows that, uh, that, that, that we have, I mean, it's like all over the board and uh, be- 
largely due to the virtual format. And I'd like to talk about that in a minute too, yeah. but largely due to this virtual format, it broke open the opportunity and the possibilities uh, for these artists. Yeah. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got a, a woman who's ta talking in like a comedic form uh, about uh, elder world, what it is working with her, her mom on the East coast uh, who is in a, is in a, in a convalescent home. Uh -huh. uh, we have a, a woman who's a sex therapist and who she tells these stories about the, 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 the therapies that she's done. Um, we have got uh, circus. We have got clowns. We have got aerial work. Uh, we have a show that it's an audio baking show. You'll bake cookies while you listen to it and you can, and it's, uh, it talks about, about everyone's relationship with food and these two best friends. Um, we have stop motion. We have, uh, an animated musical about zombie strippers. <laughs> do you think, do you think some of these, I mean, I've, I've, uh, been observing the the types of of acts that are in the festival in the past it sounds like you're getting acts or or media that you wouldn't have offered before or been offered before absolutely i mean it is extraordinary i mean we've got a a, a tv sitcom pilot in this year's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's just no way that that would have happened yeah. in the past. I mean, I guess it could have, but then it would have been kind of a theater thing, and it's not really meant to be a theater thing. Yeah. So that so so let me let me let me back up a little bit. One thing we realized early on, largely because of my work at Artslandia and the little we did these uh, these happy hours that were live stream happy hours every day at five for months, and we had all these problems with the live stream. And it was just always kind of a crapshoot on if it was going to go smoothly or not. Um, and so early on, I said, we have to, it has to be recordings. So when you ask somebody to record something, you know, the first response was, it's kind of a constraint. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But really, what happened, and I've heard it from, it was, it, it, it is a gigantic common theme. Um, but what I what what happened was is once the artists who typically do live things leaned into the concept of re recording, mm -hmm. it broke open a whole new sense of their creativity, what they could do. Yeah. And uh, and and it 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 was I mean everything from I mean a little bit of editing to a lot of editing to uh, you know recording things intentionally on their cell phone. Uh, so it has kind of like this kind of like, you know, DIY kind yeah. of feel to it. Um, it, to like sending pieces of shows out for the, the cast to do on the, their own mm -hmm. and then getting them back and, and editing them together. Yeah. I mean, it, and then, and then there's, there, there's a few that have done like the zoom readings and then been really curious with them, really interesting with uh, this, like a zoom show mm -hmm. and they're able to edit. I mean, it's just like it's it's it, it broke open a whole new level of their own creativity, and that, and listening to them talk about that is so exciting. And then some of the work with videographers, yeah, you know, and they've never done like a, a film before, and um, some are very cinemagraphic. Uh, like I said, that there's a couple that are audio, um, 
there's people who are doing like interactive boxes. So it's like this, um, this uh, uh, immersive whodunit paranormal kind of thing. And then you can order a box in advance. <laughs> oh, so really? Watch the show, you can, you, you get these little, you know, curious things to, to lead you on this adventure. Uh, I mean, there's just, it's, you know, it's everything. So how do you, how do you take this, this new, um, creative, these, these new types of works, this new focus on, uh, underrepresented, uh, communities, how do you, how do you fold this back into what the festival was, which was live events or can you what you know what is fertile ground 2022 2023 look like the short answer andy (laughs) is i don't know (laughs) it's kind of like pandora's box has been opened yeah in, in a in a wonderful way uh because creativity is just kind of is what it is. Artists are what they are, and they've just cut loose. Yeah, and, and to like the, what was from what was normal, they were cut loose the normal thing, and then in the process of adapting, like because artists do what they do, yeah. they figure out how to make it work and like find creativity in that. And so I don't know what 2022, 23 looks like. I don't, I, you know, it's all it's very complex when you think about doing a hybrid. It's a very complex concept. But, you know, we're not some giant organization. We're, uh, you know, amalgamation of a couple people. Yeah. And we do this for the love. So how do people uh, find out about Fertile Ground 2021? The best thing to do is go to FertileGroundPDX.org. That's our website. Check out what's on offer. And know that the festival is free. It will be streaming on Facebook and YouTube on a schedule, but anything we put out there, once it's aired, will be up until February 15th on both our Facebook video page and on our YouTube page. And folks can find can find those links to the Facebook page and the YouTube page at fertilegroundpdx.org. Correct. We've been speaking with Nicole Lane, Festival Director of Fertile Ground Festival of New Work. You can find out more at fertilegroundpdx.org. Thanks to Nicole for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in under 30 minutes, typically. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for your five-star review. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.